Okay, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa, and I give a shit. I can't see you out there. I don't see people anymore. Like my neighborhood, you know, I live in Bushwick, and it used to have people all over the place, and now everybody's inside. But I, I have to tell you, I am very impressed how you know, I'm the old person in this neighborhood, but I am very impressed how the young people, you young people who are behaving in this neighborhood, I want everyone to know that the young people in Bushwick are a great example of how to be uh, socially acceptable and a good, good example during the uh, pandemic. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to uh, Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Dr. Lisa. Dr. Lisa gives a shit every Thursday, two to three. You know, our five-year anniversary is coming up. Did you know that? So uh, you should go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and look up Drive to Five. Drive to Five, because that's our five-year anniversary campaign. And you can get, uh, you can donate money. You can get T-shirts that I design. You can get a T-shirt that David Kramer designed. You can get a T-shirt that Cosmo Vinyl designed. You know, the... Uh, former uh, manager of The Clash. It's a really awesome shirt. So you're welcome. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. So I'm really excited because I have this really, um, somebody that I have profound respect for. It's embarrassing. Like I'm afraid to introduce him because I will just go so uh, fan crazy overboard. And then you know, he's a, he'll, he'll get embarrassed, then I'll get embarrassed, and the whole thing will just be, it'll be fine, really. So I have Anthony Hayden guest on my show today. Um, he, okay, uh, so anyway, I've known Anthony, I've known of Anthony a long time before I met Anthony. Um, what I'm going to say, my fandom for Anthony comes originally from the book True Colors that he wrote. It was published in 1996. And it's this really, um, well, I love Anthony's writing. I mean, it, the, you know, it's a page turner, but it's also a really good behind the scenes, um, you know, document of the art world in, you know, and it was published in 1996. And Anthony's been an insider on all this. so. Uh, he's also an incredibly like humble, real, very direct person. So you get, he, he doesn't get caught up in the glitz and glamour. He, he really tells it straight. And that's the reason that, uh, that's what makes, that's why I love Anthony because he's not full of shit. He's on the inside, but he's not full of shit. I think that's a really great way to put it. Hi, Anthony. Do you think that's a good way to put it? Did that, was that well put? You're an insider, but you're not full of shit. Lisa, I can take anything except compliments. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I get very few. Oh, oh, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. Everyone loves Anthony. So I'm going to tell you, uh, Anthony's here today because we want to talk about this brand new book of cartoons that he, he that uh, just got published by Orange Art. But I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about the book, and then we're going to psychoanalyze the cartoons, which I'm very excited about. I have actually psychoanalyzed Anthony several times now, but I've never actually gotten a window into his mind through his cartoons. So this, I'm very excited about this. But before we do that, in case you don't know who he is, I'm just going to give you a brief, uh, brief rundown. Um, 
Okay, so he's a journalist, he's covered wars, the art world and celebrity culture. And is, he's got books, okay? The books are Bad Dreams, True Colors, The Real Life of the Art World, The Last Party, Studio 54, Disco and the Culture of the Night. Uh, he's written for uh, the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, the New York Observer, Paris Review, Sunday Times, Esquire, Ray. He's a really big deal, okay? Like he's been around, everyone knows him. Uh, in the art world, and uh, do you ever get stopped on the street, Anthony? Do you get stopped on the street? Once in a thousand years, you know, the answer is no. No, some, sometimes like people go, oh my God, there's Anthony Hayden Guest, right? It happens to you though. No, luckily not. I don't think I'd like that. Not though. lately, not lately. Well, I don't know, but anyway, so I want Anthony to talk about, Anthony, we're going to get to you, but I just want to just, I want Anthony to talk about um, his, his book, Fun Times, the, the Further Chronicles of Now. And it has texts by Adrian, Karen Finley, Tama Janowitz, and it's just a really great book with lots of cartoons and some poems or or whatever he's going to tell you but i just want to read what karen finley wrote because this is a really good way to put it describe the cartoons much better than what i would do so it's anthony hey i'm sorry i'm frantic right now there's too much stuff i feel overwhelmed looking at anthony's biography that's the truth okay anthony hayden guest cunning cart cunning cartoons this is karen finley anthony hayden guest cunning cartoons seethe in a mashup of audacious hilarity and sublime social commentary amidst the dangers of mass manners, the undoing of, of civilization and its self-absorption. So that's pretty, I, I think that, I think that's pretty good. So Anthony, tell us about the book, please. I well, I've been cartooning a long while and for a long while, they weren't very good. They were weak. The drawings were weak and a lot of the ideas were weak. And then in the last few years, I think suddenly they started coming together. Mm -hmm. And I feel much happier with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking them in interesting directions. Mm -hmm. um, I'll say a quick thing about cartoons. The cartoon and art, are, they're different. It's not apples and oranges difference. They're different. There's a mystery in art. There's, there's usually something in Picasso said, if your painting doesn't go wrong, it won't be, it'll be no good. Mm -hmm. That's not true of cartoons. Cartoons are about delivering a message, about delivering a joke. Mm -hmm. And um, that's their function. But mm -hmm. there's no reason why they shouldn't look good, and there's no reason why they shouldn't look interesting. And, and believe me, they do. And also, I want to point out, if you want, like you have great t-shirts, there's all this great merchandise too, but you'd have to go to therealanthonyhaydenguest.com and get it. So I want you guys to know, you can get a t-shirt with his cartoons. But they're really, they are, they are really, um, they are, they are very singular to you in that I think they have, there's a certain, I mean, the way they're set up is very funny. They're very like punch, they're almost like punchlines in a way. There's like a joke or like they're very um, mysterious. There's a certain mystery to them. I mean, they're communicative, but there's a certain mystery too, right? The ideas come, they pop up. And, um, and of course, one's long eternal conversations with oneself and suddenly bang, you think, okay, that's, I got a cartoon there. And they happen quite frequently. 
And I've seen you doing them at like spring break and other places. You seem incredibly prolific. Are, are you making them like, it feels like to me, like you're making them constantly. What is it? What is it like for you? Yeah. They, 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 uh, they become, you know, the subconscious mind is odd. It kind of, a friend of mine, an artist says, um, he feels like a ship's captain. He barks orders to subconscious, you know. Mm-hmm. And subconscious you know, does that. The subconscious comes up with what's wanted. I sometimes feel the same, that, that um, it's burrowing away underneath and suddenly, bang, you've got an idea. So do you feel like you're learning about yourself from the cartoons in a way? Like, are there things that come up that surprise you about yourself? Yes, but it's more about the outside world, more about taking in information, taking in lots of different kinds of information, mm-hmm. putting it all together, and then you've got some kind of unexpected conjunction of ideas, and bang, there it is. It's not really. Are you, are you um, so do you think a lot of it comes from observing the outside world, people you're around, things that you see, societies, stuff like that? Are a lot of them observational? Absolutely, absolutely. And reading, of course. We, we, you know, yeah. And, and the world, step. that's basically, the world is full of stuff going on now, never more so, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel like a lot of it is commentary about the world? It's, it's not necessarily, it comes out of the world. It comes out of real situations. It comes out of real life situations, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It does not come out of other cartoons. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't seem, it, like I was saying, they feel very original. It doesn't feel like it comes from the, like, a, you know, somebody that, it feels like a way of expressing yourself that's in line with, you know, all the other ways that you express yourself, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it comes out of the cartoon world at all. I don't even think of it that way, right? No. Every now and again, every now and again, when we use a classic cartoon trope, you know, like the man on the desert island or something, but that would be a joke about cartoons. Right, 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 right. Like jokes about art. Yeah. So we're going to, I am going to make a, an attempt to um, figure out about your psyche through the cartoons that you sent me. So let's see, let's see where we go with this. This is, this is pretty good, but um, so anyway, you guys, you listener people, I just want you to know what happened, okay? Anthony, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to them. I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. So anyway, here's the thing that really struck me. First of all, I've been familiar with Anthony's cartoons for a long time because um, they're published in many, many places, and I've seen Anthony at spring break a few times doing the cartoons. And I, so I kind of have a sense of them to some degree. But when we arranged to do this interview, I asked Anthony to send me a few cartoons that we could focus on. Like originally, Anthony, the idea that I had in mind, which is fine that it didn't, that's not, that's not what we're doing exactly, is that, oh, there's going to be a few specific cartoons that I would analyze. But Anthony wound up sending me, guys, Anthony wound up sending me um, literally 18 cartoons, which is great. So I, what I wound up doing was sort of studying the cartoons and putting them into piles and themes and stuff. But 
before we get into the specific cartoons, what I wanted to find out from you, Anthony, is what was your thinking behind the cartoons that you chose to send me? And I was wondering why was, it feels like you sent a lot of cartoons. Is it a lot to you? Did you have trouble making decisions? What was the thinking behind the cartoons you chose? That's really rather hard to say. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't looking for ones with hidden depths. As I said, there should not be hidden depths. And that's, that is the point. Right. Of the and that's why, that's why I'm here, Anthony. I'm going to find yeah. those hidden depths. Maybe yeah. there are, maybe there aren't. But um, that's, I was just wondering. I think, I mean, psychologically, it would, you know, it's a good place to start. What what made and it's subconscious so you chose them subconsciously right yes the subconscious is an active participant for sure more and more more and more that's one of the rare advantages of getting older i think your subconscious becomes more amenable to working with you right because you have less defenses as you get older we don't worry about our defenses as much believe you me i'm i'm, I'm aware of that too so um how did you pick them? What was the process? Were you, do you have them all on your computer? Like, did you pick the first 18? Did you, how did you like decide which well, ones? I actually went through the book. Uh, I wanted to get, number one, a, a degree of variety was important. Mm -hmm. So I wanted ones that looked okay, you know, and uh, that was the main thing. I had, I had no governing principle. Um, so do you do you think you picked the ones that maybe you were you felt best about or a variety and the ones you wanted to arrange, which we definitely have, but then you also wanted to pick the ones that you felt good about probably, right? Maybe the ones I know what you know, you want to psychoanalyze them. I thought maybe I'll try and find ones that um offer you some meat. Right. Yes, meat. and you did. Yeah. So there's, um, how many cartoons are in the book? There's- Oh Lord, I actually don't know. 100, uh, over 100, I oh, guess. Well, over 100, yes, yes. Yeah, I yeah, okay. I just want people, before we get into it, I just want people to understand how this selection is in front of me now. And it literally is in front of me because I printed them all out and uh, I have them in front of me. So there's a couple of themes that come out in this. And one of them, one of the themes that I put a lot of the cartoons into, which surprised me about you, and I wanted to know your thoughts about this, is spirituality, right? Um, um, but making fun of it. Like you have this cartoon that says, I'm not sure whether she really loves the cat or whether this is a message she or whether it's a message she's sending to people. And then there's this other one that says, meditation is not thinking, which is why you enjoy it, right? I mean, that's hilarious. So, um, oh, one more guys, one more guys. You, this, this visual is great. I'll, I'll post this on my, I'll post this visual with it. Uh, with the with the radio show you lure subway trains from their tunnels are you using only your raw spiritual energy oh and how about this one 
Your psychic powers will save the planet when the alien invaders come. So I think that's like so funny. But what it feels like is you're making, you feel, this is what I'm imagining, okay? And you tell me. What I'm imagining is that spirituality, um, in quotes, is a big topic in our society right now. And it's sort of used as a catch-all for, confu uh, there's a lot of confused, this is my opinion, there's a lot of, and I'm wondering if you agree. So there's a lot of confused people that hang on to spirituality as a way, sort of like a way to navigate life. And I think that you're making fun of that, but will you tell me, what's your feeling about it? Well, I can say, Different things, for instance, the, the person I'm always, when I take the subway, I'm always kind of amused by people who glare up this tunnel, like, you know, like this is going to speed up the train. And so when, since I had spirituality on my mind, I thought, okay, that's a situation I can use. Um, the, the cat one is something else. That's different. That's a different genesis. Um, Jung said, man hates a meaningless life. And people find meaning in different things. You know, some, some people find meaning in money. Some people find meaning in social position. Some people, thank God, find meaning in art. And a few people, a lot of people, find very deep, intense feeling in, in their love for animals. Hmm. And so these are always, there's often more than one idea involved. And they come into conjunction. And, and you can put it all together into one single cartoon concept. So are you questioning, like, what's going on in your mind is what I'm wondering about. Like, are you questioning um, what's meaningful to people or what, what, draw, what people are attached to? In this context, yes, absolutely. But that's, mm -hmm. not, that's not an obsession of mine, you know. That this, this happened to work in, the, in this situation. For a little group of drawings, that, that made a lot of sense for me. Mm -hmm. But only one little group of drawings. Well, yeah, no, I know we're, we're, you know, it's not the whole book or no, we're not making huge generalizations. I'm trying to find little, little bits that maybe we, maybe we can tie them together. Maybe we can, who knows? But the one about the subway is interesting what you said, because that's a very detailed observation of, um, and I do think you notice a lot of irony. I think th this is a theme and you tell me, but another theme that I'm thinking about now is the irony in human behavior. Like as if people looking into the subway train, and you're right, that is really funny because most people do do that and it's pointless. Like the subway's gonna come when it comes. No. But so is that something that you're, you're noticing about human behavior, about how people watch to see when the subway comes even though it doesn't matter no that's an observational thing you know that's but i've done that now there's one cartoon took care of that right 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 um is there any cartoon that stands out in your mind in particular just just off the top of your head you don't have to have a reason i have a few i put a handful i i i I really like partially because they worked graphically as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done quite a few about the art world, and um, and this one I like where because that's also based on observation. Where, where the guy, I forget the actual line. That's the awful thing. I have one here about the art world. Uh, yeah. 
let me see, where is it? Uh, it's really funny. Um, okay, we're finding it. We're finding it. I can, from memory, uh, the guide, obviously the artist was saying, um, if, if art was easy, everybody would do Oh, yes, yes. That's the one I was looking for. Exactly. And uh, a young woman says, almost everybody I know is. <laughs> that's based on the observation, the accurate observation. But as the uh, painter Peter Saul said the other day, there are too many artists. You know, they used to, it used to be incredibly small group. When I first came to live in New York, an opening at the Costelli Gallery, there'll be maybe 25 people. Mm. Now Shea Stadium, you know. <laughs> That's what that cartoon was about. Yeah. You know, I, that was the only one you sent me about the art world. Did, did you realize that? Um, no. <laughs> which, which I, I also like that. I like the way it came out. I like the way it looked graphically. Yes. I like when they both look good. But when looking good does not spoil the joke. Because if, if the cartoons look too much like art, the humor kind of dies. Right, right. So a lot of, uh, it sounds like a lot of what's interesting, I'm going to put post that one too. Um, I'm just making a note. But the thing is, um, a lot of it, it seems like what I'm hearing is that some of what you're enjoying or what you're connecting to in the cartoons is the actual drawing and the visual aspect of them, right? Absolutely, yeah. Because that's kind of a new challenge for you in the sense that you've spent most of your career writing, just literally writing. I've always writing. drawn. As I said, it was, they weren't, I'm so great, you know, the painter John Baldessari, or not the painter, the conceptualist, burned all his early work. Mm -hmm. um, when, when Robert Rauschenberg had a show in, in um, Florence, or maybe wherever the Arno is, is that no, it's Rome, right? He got a review saying he should go and throw them all in the Arno. That's exactly what he did. And I think many artists wish their early work was gone. And unfortunately, cartoons get published, but luckily before the internet. Oh. I'm so glad that most of mine are gone. Oh, really? Recently, I've become much happier with them. So have you always been doing cartoons and people just have, or I haven't known? I mean, I've known you doing them for like the last five or 10 years, but not like your whole career. You know, I, bought, I did them. I had, I had drawings published at Cambridge University before I had writing published. Oh, we did but not know terrible. that. They were awful. They were weak and silly. Well, but, but it's a way that, see, that's so interesting. I did not know that. So I assume that this is something that developed out of your writing, but the truth is you've been doing it all along. Oh, yes. And, you know, I thought people like, like Daumier and, and Aubrey Beardsley were godlike figures, you know, people who could just write and draw. But Beardsley was a very good writer. Mm -hmm. So um, are you happier with the way you draw now or what? Yes. what yeah, is that really what's attracting you to spending time on it? Is the drawing a lot Absolutely. of it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. So um, that's funny. So have you drawn throughout your life, or what was drawing like for you when you first started? I mean, I'm surprised more. It's interesting to me now that I'm thinking about it because you're so deeply involved in the art world, but yet drawing isn't something that you've embraced fully until recently. So that's what I'm curious about. Well. I, I was always aware I did not have a magic wrist. 
you know, but actually magic risk is not always a benefit to artists. You know, one can, um, the French painter Daniel Buren said a talent for painting can draw you back. It's a complex business, you know, sometimes awkwardness uh, can, be a, can be a virtue, very often indeed. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm guessing because, um, I know what you mean as somebody who studied illustration and, and is frustrated with their level of drawing. Um, I think that there becomes a certain satisfaction of just having the voice in the drawing, like your ability to draw becomes very satisfying, even though it's not necessarily a certain standard or something, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what you, is that what's really changed over time for you? Well, the risk is that you, you learn to do something pretty good and then you do it over and over and over again both in the way you do it and, and the kind of joke you make. And you've got to avoid that. You've got to, you've got to go new areas all the time. That, that's why I love, I love taking them different directions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, what, what other areas, is there anyone that, this one really stuck with me, okay? This one I want to ask you about. I should have had more fun. And it's, uh, it's written, it's somebody with a party hat, maybe you, I don't know on a tombstone and it says on the tombstone i should have had more fun what is what is that what does that say to you i, I have done a whole series of gravestones uh-huh you know with with allegedly funny inscriptions or or geographic inscriptions you know um one simply said out of order mm -hmm. you know? and gravestones related to people's hopes about life and the afterlife or whatever or, um, and some, some of them work and some don't, I suppose. I like that one. Because, that it, because uh -huh. a lot of people, I think a lot of people think that they should have had more fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, mean, what does that mean, really? Less spending time, not taking themselves so seriously, maybe? Just, um, I remember an actor who should, should be nameless. I actually just kind of forgotten now, you know regretting he hadn't such a carefree sex life as he might have had, you know? Oh. Stuff like right, that. Right, 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 right. How about you, Anthony? Do you feel like you should have had more fun? Um, I, I, frankly, for there was a while back there when I had too much fun. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My work. Luckily, that time is over. So do you feel, so it's really an observation that feels, people feel dissatisfied, maybe. You notice a lot of people that feel dissatisfied. Well, and rightfully so. I mean, who has a completely satisfactory life? <laughs> people who think they do are probably, well, I can think of a few examples. Some in high office. <laughs> right. So, so you're saying that uh, realistically, most people probably, if, if, if you're, honest with yourself you probably do feel like you should have had more fun right i hope so my mother's gravestone said je ne regret rien what's that mean oh that's oh, no regret uh, that was a famous song i forget i think uh, who famous friend i think edith piaf i rien je ne regret, I, nothing I, re I regret nothing that's great yeah yeah, yeah. so that's a, that's an inspiration to you in a way maybe I wish I could say the same. <laughs> no, but her gravestone. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah, that's, and that's something that she chose, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, 
there's, let's see, what, what, there's this, um, um, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to go to next. There's this really long quote from Picasso, uh, this one about Picasso. Thanks, drink to my health. You know I can't drink anymore. Pablo Picasso, this one. This is part of a whole series of last words. Oh, wow. For instance, the Australian gangster's last words, where he said, such is life, just before he was hung. And, wow. Um, I just did one of Lawrence Hart from Rogers and Hart said, uh, he said something really sad. He more said something like, is that all there is? Something of that nature. Um, and the last words very interesting. Of course, you never know. That's what somebody actually did. <laughs> Often there's a lot of uh, controversy about what somebody actually did say. Mm -hmm. um, so I, is that something that you researched then? Oh yes, I done a lot of research. So you put the so you put these all together. You put those together from research. All people contemplating the end. You know, mm -hmm. um, there was a famous there was this terrible robber tycoon. I forget his name, but he 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 had a big fight with Vanderbilt. And when Vanderbilt was on his deathbed, he wanted I think it was called Jay Gould. He wanted to meet with him. And this guy sent back a message saying, "Tell him." I will meet him in hell where we are both going. <laughs> wow. Um, how do you decide who you're going to, who, his last words? Do you look at the last words or do you think of the person and then look up their last words or how do you? How yes, do you yes that? very often. If it's somebody who interests me. I somebody who interests you. I'm out of my way to find out um, uh -huh. what the last words were. I mean, I've, Somebody, a, you know, friend who's no longer with us. I, I want to find out in that case. I'm not going to say who. Uh huh. I want to find out their last words. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. What What do you do? You think that last words define people in a way? Um. What do you, What do you think? Well, they often define personality if they are. Um, I, I, somebody, I think I, was, uh, I, I forget the exact quote, but somebody asked Karl Marx for his last words. He said something like, he said something like, I've said enough, only fools have last words, something about that. <laughs> I, did, I did that one, yeah. Well, you know what's interesting, I think, is that last words are pro profound in a certain way because the person in the situation of saying them are kind of at a really crucial moment in their actual life, right? So those are really like, the subconscious is probably really active there. <laughs> well, I have Tallulah Bankhead, the one famous actress. I think her last words were codeine, bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, those sound like really, that's probably, uh, and okay, so, um, oh, this one, I this one. There's a lot about death here, but like from a lot of different angles, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So this one's really interesting. Um, I just called the suicide hotline. Hotline. They're sending an explosive vest and a list of dislikes. Yes. That's hilarious. That's kind of a verbal joke, really, about likes and dislikes. You know. 
Right. But, but um, it sounds like the suicide is a productive thing there. Exactly. You know, yeah, I called the suicide. I called the suicide hotline. They said they're sending a vest and a list of dislikes. <laughs> I Which mean, I thought that was kind of funny, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like terrorism and suicide are like it is kind of an irony of the human condition, right? That like some people commit suicide as a political, it's either out of despair or to make a point. Yeah, it seems to be pretty endemic right now. Yeah. Suicide. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of unhappy people out there. Yeah. Um, why do you think, why, I was surprised there was only one um, cartoon about the art world did, that you sent me, but you must have made more. What's oh, yeah, I made quite a few. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I don't remember precisely my principle of selection. Uh, I've made uh -huh. a, a lot about the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, what you know? What kind of themes come come through? Well, some of them are purely pictorial. For instance, I did a um, a kind of a copy, a smudged copy of um, the famous Magritte of a pipe. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, and I said, and it says, "This is not a blotch." So that's a purely visual joke. You have to this know the art. Uh, oh, this is not a blotch, meaning like oh, a... Yeah, it's not a smudge, you know. Actually, it's a smudge of a pipe. And one, uh, one which I think is a bit sad is I did... Um, John Baldessari would mention he did a wonderful, one of his best-known pieces. When he was leaving abstract expressions to make conceptual art, he wrote again and again and again a piece of paper. I, I, I must not make boring art. I must not make boring art. Oh, right. And I did one, a copy saying, I must not steal another artist's idea. I must not steal <laughs> And then he died about two weeks later. Yeah. Oh, my. Wow. Did he know about it? I think not. <laughs> yeah. You must, I bet you knew him though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you guys were friendly? Were you friendly with him? Well, yeah. I mean, I wasn't an intimate friend, but I liked him and I admired him enormously. Yeah, he, he is, he's an incredible artist. I mean, definitely yeah. somebody that like I was aware of from a young age. So you seem, you seem sort of, like I'm gonna say this, you seem sort of um, cynical about humanity, but in sort of a loving way almost. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, cynical, well, you observe, you're a real observer. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, sorry. I think somebody said about a cynic, a cynic is somebody who knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. <laughs> and so, and so uh, I, I, wouldn't, I, I, I call myself a realist rather than a cynic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But maybe, the same, maybe they're sometimes identical. Uh, yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, it's very, very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's however you see it. Like some people think being realistic is cynical. And I mean, it depends on who you're talking to, of course. But you do seem to, I would say the one thing that really stands out, like when I'm thinking about it now, is that you are an acute observer of human behavior. And that's a lot of what is motivating you. Do you think that's true? Absolutely, and, and which is, I, I think, changing around us. I see, 
social glue dissolving, mm-hmm. you know, please and thank you, like words in a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And um, one used to think that most people were pretty decent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I, I, I overawed by human ability. Um, but the phenomenon of internet clones mm-hmm. extraordinary and, and absolutely scary. The, the amount of nihilistic, motiveless malice in the world. Mm. Absolutely mm. remarkable. Mm. Mm. I have, I, who, who could have guessed there would be so many nihilists in the world? You know, I'm trying to, what do you mean by, I don't even know, what does nihilist mean, Anthony? Basically, oh. people who believe in uh, uh, aching for nothingness. For, they want yeah, nothing. They yeah. want, you mean, they want yeah. to destroy. They want to destroy and pull down. Mm-hmm. So there's like less, less, uh, uh, less looking for fulfillment. People are looking for fulfillment less, and they want to destroy, like that kind of thing. And yet I've found uh, about uh, every year, I, I, a couple of times, I take quite long trips across. The, I don't drive, but I get I go across this country, and I'm just amazed wow. by the amount of sheer human decency there is here. You know. Uh, there's decency in the heartland and everything. I know that's going to sound like a sappy thing to say. Not at all. But I believe that. So you go across the country a lot? Well, no, not. But if, if, I, yeah, if I'm going to go, you know, I went, to, I went from New York to Miami and I thought, okay, I'll take the train. Oh, wow. Yeah, 24 hours. Very pleasant. Got a lot of work done, a lot of reading and, met, you know, encountered a lot of people. Mm. And you feel like when you're on the train that p- the human behavior is, is good? Um, yes, but what I said about social glue, that's good also. In the old days, uh, not so long ago, I mean, a few years ago, if you got on an airplane and people sat next to you, and you, you wouldn't necessarily do it, you'd nod at each other. There'd be an acknowledgement of human presence. Right. But this is by no means all, all, always the case nowadays. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But the internet seems to have given people this opportunity, this sort of cowardly opportunity to uh, express themselves or attack others or be just nihilistic, as you say, without any, con- without consequence. Yeah, yeah. Is that part of what, what it is? I'm absolutely sure it is. Absolutely. Totally right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your, what's your use of the, do you go, are you a Twitter user or do you, what do you use? I sent one tweet. Um, I, I, I spent very, I'm not proud of spending very little time on it. I just don't have mm-hmm. time. I, I spend, it's just not interesting to you. I, well, I spend too much time just getting through my email every morning, you know? Yeah. I have Facebook pages. I very seldom go to them. Mm-hmm. I, I should I should do more. I'm not proud of this. It's just like it's just, I've got a lot of other stuff to do. Oh, you mean you mean you should do more because you're getting uh, pressure about your marketing? Well, or connecting with people and this and that. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, well, I do feel like there is. I mean, I I actually made something that said something like Instagram is just another creative mouth to feed. 
I think Instagram's another story. I, I left Instagram out because I do like putting pictures up there and this and that. I, mm -hmm. I, I find it that that's, as you doubtless know, I mean, that's a, a major force in the art market now, the art world. I mean, a lot of people, especially now with, with Mr. COVID in town, you know, yeah. uh, a lot of people, their art lives are lived online, mostly through Instagram. And I, yeah. I find even before, way before the virus, I, I knew people who, who had good careers on Instagram. Yeah, I think it's allowing people to sell their own work and market their own work and have more, the artists to have more agency, right? Yeah, and to just get the work around, which is yeah. what I want. So that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, have you thought, and I mean, I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you this question about the future of the art world during, because, like, because of COVID, like, what do you, have you, thought about it? Have you talked about it? Like, what do you think is going to come out of this? Well, a, a lot of small art galleries are gone. Mm -hmm. For the same reason, you know, coffee shops and restaurants, you know, they rent mm -hmm. pay, turnover, this and that. Mm -hmm. It's having disastrous consequences. Um, it's hard to read the future. Um, I've read some interesting analyses. Um, Magda from Postmasters Gallery wrote an interesting. I've I read some interesting mm -hmm. analyses of how the art world will be affected by this. Um, some people look at positive sides, like um, art fairs are very much a diminished force for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And art fairs did sap a lot of um, life out of the galleries and this and that. You know, the, the sheer costs of going around art fairs. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, everybody knows this. I, I won't, um, but in that way, yeah, it's, it's, it's very fluid right now. Yeah. Um, what I'd like to think is that because the marketing, the face-to-face -face marketing, meaning like art fairs, you know, galleries or whatever, has been diminished, that actually really, the work will be the art that gets noticed will be more of a meritocracy do you know what i mean like it seems that a lot of art not there you can do really well with a lot of art if you have the right gallery or the right you know machine behind it it can help sell the work if the work isn't that good but because of the pandemic the machine has been silenced a bit, and so we you have to you have to actually have the work, or the work is more prominent now. Does that make any sense? Yes. Well, one of my art cartoons I didn't send you is a young woman talking to a rather unhappy-looking artist, saying, "Saying, well, I'm I'm sorry, uh, your work's not for this gallery, but there's a very strong market for mediocre art right now. <laughs> I'll give you a list of galleries." It doesn't look too happy. Totally, totally. So you've seen a lot of changes in the art world. And so where do you think it was before the, like what did you think about the whole explosion of art fairs and stuff like that? Um, well, I, I absolutely support, I mean, art is becoming, this is something I'm you know, working on rather hard right now for another project, I mean, Art has become a dominant cultural medium. You know, it's obviously book reading is not what it was. 
Mm -hmm. Movie going is not what it was. Ours become a major, major, an increasingly major force, and um, it's still being worked out. I mean, I don't think a handful of uber artists are going to control the whole thing. Mm -hmm. In fact, the pressures on those artists are incredibly can be quite damaging. You only have yeah. to you mean because they have to produce so much work for all the art fairs and stuff? Is that oh, what you mean? It's often so much money is involved in specific projects and this and that. It's kind of like the movie business at that level. Yeah, the scale of production. Well, I often think that nowadays artists that are really, really successful become more like creative directors of a brand as opposed to people making things. Is that true do you see that happening like where they have these huge studios and you know armies of people making oh, stuff Raffle, a thriftier system you yeah know what i mean photoshop and all of that i mean there's a whole generation of younger artists who basically learned how to do stuff through photoshop and all of that rather than at art school you know right um and that's okay i mean that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad you know, you don't have to draw from the figure for kind of five years, you know. No, well, it's a different, I think it's, I think it's, I don't know how it happened, but I'm glad to be back. So there was one um, observation that I had about the cartoons, a psychological observation, and I'm just going to put it out there, see what happens, see how Anthony responds. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, it doesn't matter. And then I want to talk about the verses, which is a section in the back of his new book. And I'm really curious about them. And they're a really interesting thing that Anthony does, which involves performance. So I want to make sure we get that in there. So Anthony, this is what I was going to, this is what I was going to say. The observation I had was that I think that you as a human are an acute observer of human behavior. And I'm wondering if that's, there's something so, outward looking about that and i wonder if that's like who you are very outward looking and if that's sort of like a way of not looking inward or more outward looking not inward looking do you have any thoughts about that being outward and inward looking interesting i like the kind of veil suggestion i might be avoiding <laughs> introspection yeah yeah i think you're avoid. thank you anthony i didn't want to say that i didn't know how to say it respectfully and i'm not right so what I, do you think I, I, I've always thought that um, a divine gift is curiosity. Ah, curiosity. You know, what do Einstein and Leonardo da Vinci have in common? Just intense curiosity. Hmm. You know, people without that just sink into increasing into a puddle of their own being. Huh, I love that. So it's sort of like you keep yourself entertained with your own curiosity. With natural, it's, it's not natural. something. It's just a natural temperament. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, can, I can relate to that a bit. I can relate to that. That's very inspiring. I love that. Okay, let's talk about the verses in the back of the book. So the verses are a different sort of uh, way of expressing yourself as opposed to cartoons. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the verses? Yeah, I see. Uh, I use the word verse. I, I, I do not apply the word poetry. Um, I think the difference in verse, T.S. Eliot said, better write good verse than bad poetry. Mm -hmm. And um, they, I'm dedicated to rhyme. Mm -hmm. I think rhyme 
actually brings an element of chance into the writing process, which you always get, it's an equivalent of chance in art. And that often the rhyme word takes you in a, in a, in a direction you would not quite have chosen to go. Hmm. And, um, and also, um, I love the meaning. It's, I, I, it's Edward Lear and Lewis Carroll call it comic verse. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't always provoke laughs, but it, yeah, it's comic. It's observational. It's an observational form. So is there a way of, do you consider that sort of like playing with words? Like, is there sort of a, a challenge, sort of like a puzzle to you? Is it like a fun thing, thinking of the meaning that comes out from the language sort of thing? Is not that what really. you're saying? No, not really. The, the meaning is, is fundamental to it. I mean, it's, it's actually about something. Mm -hmm. But what I meant by the rhyme takes, sometimes you, you, you're striving to get across, you know, whatever. I, I've done one, a new one called Welcome to the Anthropocene, you know. Uh -huh. Man-made man world where we belong. Life's better than it's ever been. Does, it, does that not deserve a song? And then you've got, a, you've got a rhyme, you've got a rhyme word, which doesn't quite fit with what you had in mind. And you can try and make it fit. Uh huh. Uh huh. So um, that sounds like. A, so you enjoy doing those. Those are fun. And yeah, and yeah. how are they, what do they express? How do they express differently than the cartoons? Like they're like um, what's different? What's different in the process of them or or well, in? Interesting. A bit. One slightly sad thing is I used to be very productive with those. I've, I've done, I've published, I, I, I've still performed a lot. But since I started really focusing on the cartoons, I've noticed that's kind of dried up a bit. Mm -hmm. Clearly that kind of energy is going into the cartoons. Mm -hmm. Do you miss that or? No, somewhat, but yeah. uh, you can't do everything. Um, there's also an element of performance in there, isn't, isn't there? You've said that um, they're on, YouTube and stuff, right? And well, under... I, I used to do a lot at the Sidewalk Cafe with a wonderful woman, Lorraine Lecky, who's right. a terrific singer. And she mm -hmm. put out an album, you know, a little like mini app, micro album of the stuff, mm -hmm. put, putting a lot of them to music. So ah, I, yeah, yeah, that's performance, absolutely. Yeah, but it's mm -hmm. not. I just, you know, I shouldn't be on a stage. I, I, I'm not Oscar material, you know. I just well, I think you're quite charming on stage. I've seen you do them. You have, and it, it's also really great to hear them done in your voice. I mean, anything that involves, you know, writing or rhyme in mm. your voice coming from the writer is, um, I mean, I'm a big audiobook fan. I should just, I'm obsessed with listening to people write reading their own work anyway but uh i think you know it's really you know i think you are charming on stage so did you like performing there's a different thing in performing being in front of an audience and communicating because communicating is important to you and it's important to the work so is communicating on stage a different way of did you enjoy that I don't, I, I do naturally. I mean, I, I have no problem with it. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, vibrate. my heart doesn't swell when I get out on stage. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of like, I, I'm okay doing it. I have no problem mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide what, what verses are going to go in your book? Um, 
Do you have a lot of them? Are you as prolific with the verses as you are with the cartoons? As I said, less so these days. Um, but they do come, and sometimes they come up just just naturally. I, you were mm-hmm. walking down the street. Um, one came because I walked through four sets of green lights, one after the other. Oh, wow, really? Something, you know. <laughs> I did a takeoff of Irving Berlin, an Irving Berlin song based on that. Uh-huh. Would you would would you like to recite one? We have six and a half minutes. If you'd like to, we would love to have you recite one. Okay, I'll find one in the book in Fun Times. Oh, uh, wonderful! Yeah. And while you're looking for that, I'm going to remind everybody where they can get the book. How's that? They can get it from orangeart.org. Um, and um, anything else you want to see about Anthony, you can go to his website, therealanthonyhaydenguest.com. The book is really, really great. And it's, you know, Anthony's latest work. And I think it's probably as poignant as, it's ever, as anything's ever going to be right now. So I'm going to encourage everybody to get it. And after you hear this rendition of one of his verse poems, I think it'll be real. We'll all be more inspired. So, uh, what are you going to read? Do you have it? Have I can't read like it out yet. It's called A Lament for Lost Trades. And there's an element of autobio in this. I popped every smart kid's wannabe list. I was a media gold medalist, an investigative journalist. You know who hit the nail on the head? Rudyard Kipling, when he said, and this is actually a quote from Kipling Oh, what avails the classic bent and what the cultured word against the undoctored incident that actually occurred. In the weekend color supplements, I'd sink my teeth into raw events. That was when true and false were king. And a posse of editors wrote heard in every single printed word. There was an actual job called fact-checking. But now that our attention span is more Neanderthal than man, blogs and free sheets, tweets and posts have us trapped in a bush of jabbering ghosts. <laughs> I'd better go right to the end because I think we're out of time, yes? Oh, uh, we got four minutes and 45 seconds. Okay. I'll, I'll do one more long one. Okay. We love, we love to roam the old neighborhood. God, how those memories made us feel good. Pat the grocer always had time for a word and made sure they had the hard cheese we preferred. Here's Margot's. We came here for fresh fruit and veg. As kids, we used to really adore her. She left the market at six. No, she hit the market at six to maintain her edge, just like her dad and granddad before her. Here, Tony ground coffee. You drink in that smell. The bakers, the stationers, the hardware were there. East clothing was next to pub on the square. Those faces, we remember them well. So where are they now? No way to tell. Their traffic went down. Each one had to sell. So let's blow a kiss to the moms and the pops as we Uber off to the mega shops. Online, <laughs> the selling, selling flow just never stops. We're time for one more verse? Sure. Okay. Oh, this Three, is mm-hmm. Naughty one. I was a prince and a pasha of porn in publishing one of the powers that be. My life was a stuff of male reverie. Stars in the pool. Peacocks on the lawn, a ravishing girl in the jacuzzi, waiting so utterly temptingly, as naked as the day she was born, and fighting as Vegas, and pink as a prawn. 
But now she and the other lovelies have gone. To cyberspace where anyone can see what I sold being given away for free. Uh, where nobody has to pay to play. And there's nothing on earth is yesterday as being host of yesterday's fantasy. This is the last verse. I was an explorer. I roamed wild places. I ventured into unmapped spaces. Teeming jungles, the ocean deep. I found no mountain range too steep. Wooden pythons, a rope, a tent. When the weather cleared, up I went. Now men who would take a fitness test at risk of cardiac arrest are babied up Mount Everest. Teenage girls, girls get off the phone and sail around the world alone. Gazillionaires and champagne charlies toast the aurora borealis as from pole to pole they hop, watching the whale hunts down below and dwindling herds drift to and fro. Go to the rainforest to shop, cross a Sahara and custom cars, or book rockets to the stars. These are this world's adventurers, but this is not the world that was. That's wonderful. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you. I really, I had so much fun spending this time with you. I mean, it's been really great. Are you doing okay during the pandemic? Do you know, um, writers and artists are kind of lucky. This is the way we always lived. Yeah, you're right about that. I'm so sorry for people whose lives are wrecked by, live, people whose lives depend on structure, but to me, this is, I, I always like this, minus the coffee breaks. I know, isn't it nice having all this time to yourself? Don't you kind of feel like that? It's great. So um, anyway, I just want to remind people again, thank you so much, Anthony. This was such a pleasure. And you should go to orangeart.org and get Anthony's book. Uh, and if you want to find out more about Anthony, it's the real com. And thank you so much for listening to Dr. Lisa Gibbs' shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm here every Thursday, 2 to 3. And you should stick around because we've got great programming this afternoon. We've got Elon Danziger right after this. You know, he's been doing really well on the leaderboards. And I think you would really like his show. If you like my show, it's funny and it's got music, which is more and which is always entertaining. Music is always entertaining. Also, I want you to um, think about donating some money. It's our fifth anniversary. We need to keep going, folks. These are tough times, but this radio station affects a large group of people, listeners, hosts, all sorts of people. So just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, drive to five, and get yourself a t-shirt. Thanks, folks. Dr. Lisa gives a shit.